people sit down and want to write a book and they try to scrape their minds for the idea. You took what you're doing and you put it on the page. You were already doing this. You were already teaching this to people. That's a very powerful way to create a book with content that's really finessed already. I mean, it may be too much to say the book spilled out of you, but it was there. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello there. It's Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration, and you're listening to episode number 248 of the Inspiration Plays podcast. Today, we're talking all about what literary agents are really looking for when they take on a client. And to help me do that, I invited my agent, and I'll introduce her in a moment. We'll bring her on. I have all the questions lined up that I know you're dying to ask, like, what about coffee table books for your art? What kind of platform are they really looking for? And maybe some other things that you didn't think about. So it's going to be a great interview to be sure. But before we get there, I just wanted to update you on the success of Artpreneur. It is so sweet. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so happy to all of you who have ordered the Kindle or the paperback or the Audible or multiple versions of it, which I've heard from many of my fans that they like reading and listening at the same time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And as of this recording, I actually have almost 60 reviews on Amazon. So one of the things that I teach you to do and I practice myself is that whenever you want somebody to do something for you, you always have to know that there has to be something in it for them. Because us human beings, we're pretty lazy. I know I am. And, you know, it'd be nice if I can just say, leave me a review and people will, yeah, sure. And they log in and they find the place to leave the review and they go do it. And yeah, some people do do that, but some people need a little extra nudge. So, if that's you, here is the bribe that I have been giving people who leave a review. And it's totally Amazon legal, by the way. All right. So I actually have 52 art journal prompts, which is perfect for you if you need to get clearer about your style or your goals or inspire creativity. I call them art journal prompts because some of them can be incorporated into an art journal. You don't have to use art in your journaling. You could just journal it. You could just bullet journal it. And these art journal prompts are great if you've fallen off of your journaling or perhaps you're looking for small and welcoming routines to keep you in the artpreneur mindset. Or maybe you just want to push yourself out of your comfort zone in your art. So this is what the 52 art journal prompts will give you. Now, you do need to leave a verified review on Amazon, which means you had to have ordered the Kindle or the Audible if you received your paperback through a different source. But I have to tell you, the Audible, I'm like doing a hair flip, totally amazing. It's number one in the art business category, number one. 
And there's a reason for that, because if you like this podcast, you're absolutely going to love the Audible version. I narrate it. And instead of me reading quotes from my podcast guests, whenever I get to the portion in the book, I actually have clips of them saying their messages in their own words. So it is super fun. If you've never left a review on Amazon before, there's two ways to do it. One is you go to the listing for Artpreneur, you scroll down and you'll see, this is on the on my desktop version. I'm not sure how it looks on my phone. But if you scroll down right where they give the number of reviews and they show you like how many people have five star, how many people have four star, there's a place that says write a review. So you can click that and then fill out the review. And then here's what's key though. Take a screenshot of it because we can't tell from your review who it is. So we don't know who to send the free gift to. So before you hit send, take a screenshot of it and send it to Miriam at theinspirationplace.net. We'll give those details in the show notes, episode number 248. So shulmanart.com forward slash 248. And you can do it that way. The other way to leave a review is if you go to your orders and if it's already been delivered to you and you get the Kindle and the Audible delivered immediately, by the way. So you go over to your orders and you scroll down and find where you ordered the item. There should be a button at the very bottom of that section that says, I forget if it says leave a product review or write a product review. Don't sweat the words. <laughs> your prize, your, your bribe is not dependent on what you say. And we do want you to leave an honest review. I mean, I have a thick skit. You can leave a bad review if you hated the book. And uh, I guess we'll still send you the prize. But then, yeah, so just take a screenshot of the review. It does take a day or two to show up. So you don't have to wait till it shows up to get your prize. As long as you send us the screenshot, we will honor that request. All right, my friends, thank you so much for your support. And yeah, if you haven't gotten the book yet, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for to see what other people think? There's like almost 60 reviews on there telling you what they think. But if you want to order it from someplace else or you want to see all the bonuses that are included when you get that book, head on over to artpreneurbook.com. All right, my friend, now on with the show. Well, hello there, Artpreneur. This is Miriam Schulman, your curator of inspiration, your host and author of Artpreneur, and you're listening to episode number 248. Today's guest is a literary agent who started in the book publishing in the 1970s as an assistant at Doubleday. She spent the next few decades as associate publisher or publisher at Random House, Simon Schuster, and other major book publishing companies. She became a literary agent by accident about 15 years ago and never looked back. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Michelle Martin. Hi. Well, hey, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. You look a lot younger than I thought you were, by the way. <laughs> With that intro, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Did she have an internship in her teens? I mean, <laughs> so I'm so excited to talk to you. So what I did not put into the introduction, which is really the most important part of your introduction is Michelle Martin is my book agent. And it just gives me <laughs> chills to even say that. So before we get into all the things that I know my audience wants to ask you, is I don't think you know that when I decided 
to get a book publishing contract. And I made a list of agents and I made a list of about six people. And you were one of them, like right on the top of the list. And I think it was just because a lot of my colleagues who I knew who do similar things, I saw them having such success. So I'm so thrilled and honored that you chose me because apparently that's hard, but I didn't know that. So it is hard. You should be very pleased. It's not that easy to get an agent. All right. So let's start from the very beginning. What are you looking for? The real question is what are publishers looking for? Because that's what I can sell is what they're looking for. Yeah. I guess if I wanted to narrow it down to two main things that a book proposal must have, it's a unique idea and a marketing platform that speaks to that idea. So what those are still very broad. And what does that really mean? It's very hard to come up with an entirely new idea, but between an author's voice and their own particular spin, they can talk about something that's actually been published before, but in a unique way so that it feels fresh. It feels like a reader hasn't read it before. So number one is obviously an idea, you know, that editors have not seen 12 times that week in other proposals. And then the marketing platform, which unfortunately is so much more important than I wish it were, mostly because I don't think it matters as much as publishers say that it matters. You know, if you have a couple of hundred thousand people following you for free online, that doesn't mean they're going to get up and go to a bookstore and spend $26 on a book. So that be that as it may, there has to be some way for editors to go through the enormous volume of proposals they get, agents like myself get, and, and figure out which are worth looking at. And so that platform simply says, lots of people are liking what this person is doing. So that person's probably worth listening to. Okay. So let's talk specifically about, first of all, what is a platform? Because I know that is maybe a term that the artists in my audience don't necessarily think about or understand what that actually means. To me, it is the way in which an individual communicates with an audience. It could be through public speaking. It could be through an email list. It could be through a social media platform. It could be through Instagram lives, whatever way or couple of ways an individual author communicates. I have people who have a million followers on TikTok. I have people who have 300,000 people on Instagram. You don't have to be everywhere all the time. You have to be somewhere, not just where you're showing a large number of people are following you, but that the engagement is there. Way more important than the then the basic number, 200,000 people on Instagram, is the engagement. Not just are you talking to them, are they talking back to you? That's a real audience. Right. And especially now that engagement has been going down precipitously. I mean, when I started writing the book, Michelle, the figure was on Instagram for the average person, a 1% engagement. 1%. So if you have 100,000 people following you, that's 1,000 people. Right. Okay. And when I went back to edit the book, because as you know, I got a lot of pushback from the developmental editor that, yeah, I got a lot of pushback from the developmental editor. How come you're not focusing more on social media? So I built a case inside the book about why social media is less and less important. And when, when I went back to edit that section of the book, I found that the it had actually dropped. So the engagement had dropped from 1% to 
0.6% for the average person. Now, there's a lot of influencers who are trying to teach people how to get more engagement online. So what is the average engagement rate for an influencer? It's 1.12%. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of those numbers have dropped since then. I'd be hearing that from other people as well. Right. And then even TikTok, people who have millions of followers, unfortunately, the way TikTok is set up is you can follow someone on TikTok and then never see their content again. So it's not an audience on TikTok is not, as you said, necessarily really even knows who you are. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are lots of issues with TikTok right now. This week, editors seem to be interested in Instagram, but I promise you in two weeks that will change again. So my attitude is find the platform that is right for you and your business and your desire to get your content out in the world. Work that one. You don't have to have 10 platforms. Just have something. Okay. And just so my listeners know, it was this podcast that I positioned as being my platform of where I'm speaking my message and have people listening to me. So thank you, listener. I would like to say something about podcasts, by the way, because the question everybody asks agents, authors ask agents is, what sells books? Yeah. I don't know anymore. It's so hard to know what sells books. But my money is on podcasts. I love when my authors have a successful podcast show. Two reasons. One, long format. It's not three minutes on Good Morning America. It's sometimes 15, 20 minutes or more. So you can really get into what the book is about. And the other thing is, I don't listen to every podcast in the world. I listen to the podcasts I listen to. When they recommend something, I take it seriously because I'm already committed. I'm already a regular follower of theirs. So it's the trusted host and the long format makes podcasts a really good platform for book sales, for authors. That's great. For all and, kinds of creatives. And you're talking not just about being a podcast host, but being a podcast guest for, for selling, right? Absolutely. Guest, host, both. Okay. And then some people, and I got this question from a friend of mine who wants to publish her second book, and she does not have a platform right now. She's looking at podcast or YouTube. Do you, what do you think of YouTube as being the platform? I sold a book about six months ago where the YouTube was the platform. It's very successful. The author's making money on YouTube. She doesn't charge for her content, but her sponsors, she's literally making a real living with that. So just in terms of how that works for the individual, if it's successful, yeah, it could be very lucrative for somebody. It depends upon the content. This is an exercise coach. YouTube is a natural for her. Right. So that's why I'm saying the platform has to match you and your business and what you're trying to do in the world. Some people are very visual. Instagram is great. Probably a lot of your listeners, Instagram is a good platform because they're all, you know, for the most part, visual people. For some people, it's an email list, you know, with a really great open rate. That would be like Austin Cleon. I, I don't think he has a podcast or a YouTube channel, but he has his mailing list is in the six figure. So it's uh, great. Right. One question that I get asked about, and I don't know the answer to this. So some of my artists, they want to publish basically coffee table books. What advice would you have for artists who want to do something like that? Don't do that. (laughs) I'll tell you, I mean, obviously I'm being facetious, a visually creative person is inclined to want to do a book that's visually beautiful. 
Here's the problem with coffee table books. First of all, there aren't, we just don't publish a lot of them anymore as an industry. They're very expensive. They almost always have to be printed outside the United States. So it takes a really long time to get books. God forbid something's going on at the border or customs. It could get hung up there for months. It's just not a popular category. There was a time way, way back decades ago when it was, but they're just prohibitively expensive now. So it depends. There are also creative ways to do something visual. I bought a book a long, long time ago by Woody Guthrie's sister. It wasn't a coffee table book, but it was an object. It was gorgeous. So there are people who could put a gorgeous package together and bring it in for under $30 or under $35. But once you get into these $60 to $100 books, it's tough. It's tough to sell them. Yeah. I read an article recently. I forget. It was either the Journal or the Times. And it was about how more publishers are going to paperback, which is how my book is. Would you like to speak more about that? I'm not against paperback. So, you know, there seems to be this little hanging on feeling for authors that there's some cachet to a hardcover. There are a lot of reasons why that's just not true in terms of this being a business. First of all, they're harder to hold. They're harder to carry. They're more expensive. They're harder to keep in print for the publisher if the book takes off. You could wind up being out of stock while they're waiting for reprint. There are big supply chain problems in our industry because books are paper and paper is very tough. And the supply chain is tough. I'm not against a paperback original. The reason people used to not like it is because typically you couldn't get a review of a paperback original. They mostly only reviewed hardcovers. A, that's no longer true. And B, nobody's reviewing books anyway. And I mean, it's there aren't really like the big book sections for the major newspapers anymore. They really, most of them are gone. So It is about your audience. Those are decisions about your audience, not your art. Okay. What can your audience, what is your audience looking for? What's the competition doing for your book? Okay. Because I do have to confess when I found out my book was going to be in paperback, it was kind of like finding out like your movie's going straight to video. Like that was the feeling I had. It never crossed my mind your book would be a hardcover. Never crossed my mind. I could have told you the day we went out on submission, it was going to be a paperback original. Okay. But did you guess it was going to be in color? No, I did not. And I'm delighted at what they did. I think they really, I think your publisher did an amazing job. I mean, you know how I feel about this book. I think it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Was I shocked? No, I'm not shocked. I'm just pleased that they were willing to do that because that does add something. There's no question. But the format, it absolutely should be paperback. So- one thing we have to discuss is the cover. I love the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it too. I love the cover so much. But I didn't love the cover choices in the beginning. And one of my my friends who I mentioned earlier, who's once a pusher, like, your cover is so pretty. And I'm so worried I'm going to have a bad cover. I was like, well, I guess you could put ideas of what you want in the proposal. And she says, well, my agent said that that's a turnoff. I said, actually, my agent said the same thing. It's a very bad idea, but let me give your listeners a few pieces of advice. Most authors hate the first round of covers. Most agents hate the first round of covers. The best thing you can do, it's a matter of time. Don't have the cover conversation. You know, don't be talking about marriage when you haven't even gone on the first date. Let somebody buy the book. You will be invited to be part of the conversation. I guarantee you. They're not putting a cover on the book that you don't love. So they're going to work and do everything they can 
so that you're happy. What you can do when it's time to talk about the cover, go on Amazon, look at some books, say, I like that typeface. I like that color. I like that feel. Not that they're going to duplicate it, but you're going to allow the artist who's creating your book and make no mistake about it. It is an artist who's working on your cover. You're going to be speaking to them in their language, right? You're showing them visuals. So that's very helpful. It's very rare when it doesn't go a few, at least a few rounds before an author starts to get happy. And an author needs to look, you know what I, I say to authors all the time, it, a cover is not art. It's a tiny little billboard. You have to think of it as marketing copy, not as art. I mean, we it's easy to say it's hard to do that. And obviously you want some visual element that grabs somebody's attention online or in a bookstore if somebody can find one. But um, it's about communicating information. And so, you know, I'm I'm working on a cover right now for a book. It's a sort of complicated book. My only response to all the covers is leave a lot of white space for the subtitle. You've got to be able to read this subtitle or nobody will know what this book is. I don't even care what the art looks like. It has to be super readable. You know, they were trying to be cool and abstract and you can't read the subtitle. Yeah, You have to be able to read the subtitle. So. If you think of it more as a little billboard, it'll get you a little bit away from that emotional. It's got to be gorgeous. It doesn't got to be gorgeous. It's got to communicate really fast. And my subtitle, the word creativity was very important. And we considered some titles where the word creativity was written creatively. But we had to keep in mind that most people are going to be looking at the cover as a thumbnail possibly on their phones, on Amazon, and making a decision in a split second. And that word creativity had to be really easy to read. That's exactly the point that I'm making. You don't want to be clever. You want to be clear. Yeah. And then there was some discussion about using my art on the cover. And I know that was something that you wanted. And I want to tell you why I didn't want my art on the cover or tell the listeners. I, I may have already told you. So it was very important to me that this be an inclusive book. And yes, it's about my stories, but it's really about the listener. So I wanted to open it up even from the cover so that everyone could see themselves in this book. When you put my art on the cover, it becomes too much about me. So Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be kind of an abstract piece just with beautiful colors that created a mood, a creative mood, a beautiful mood, but not that was specific to Miriam Shulman so that people could feel themselves inside this book. Right. Now, that's fair enough. I mean, that goes along with the, this may be a little less true for your listeners, but a lot of authors very strongly consider wanting themselves on the cover. That is almost always a mistake because whoever you are, you're excluding somebody once your picture's on. If you're a girl, you're excluding boys. If you're white, you're excluding people who aren't white. I mean, it's always, so Yeah, if you're a big celebrity and people know your face, it can be helpful, but it's generally not a good idea. Yeah, like if you're Prince Harry, it's a good idea. That's That's a really good cover. That's a really good cover. Okay, so let's talk about then what types of things do you pass on? Let's say they have a great platform. What are we, we like an instant no for you? Well, if somebody has a really great platform and I don't like the book they came up with, I'll try to get them to write something else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, because I I said this before, and as we're talking, it'll make more and more sense. The platform has to speak to the book. 
You know, if you're known as a chef online and you're doing a fashion book, not going to work. So if they've got an audience and these people are coming to them for X and they decided to write about something else, I try to move them back closer to what they're for the first book, closer to the topic they already have some followership about. Okay. All right. Before we hit record, I think you mentioned about checking off. I checked off some boxes for you. Why don't we go through what some of those boxes are? We already mentioned platform. I I guess the next thing is idea. It's definitely the idea, but not just an idea, the execution. I mean, one of the things that I love about your book, it's chock-a-block with actionable, prescriptive, do this ideas. I was Zooming with my sister's two days ago. I have two sisters and I was talking to them about the book and both of them asked me for the book. Neither of them are traditionally creatives per se, but I told them what was in it and they're like, I want to see how to do that. There was just so much information about how to turn your thing into a a business. Yeah, Um, I mean, this is a conversation we had a lot in the beginning, which who's the artist this book is for. That's how we wound up with the word creatives. Yeah, we we definitely you broadened book trailer, it. Which is perfect. Could be dancing, it could be singing, it could be knitting. I knit. It's your creative endeavor and then how to make a living doing that. So my husband's finally read the book. I think he might have skipped a chapter, but you know, he he, <laughs> he read the book and he as he was reading it was interesting because he was saying he was saying two things that I thought were interesting. One, he was saying, Oh, this applies to my world. And he's in real estate development. Like he could see, because I said, well, of course it does, because all I'm doing is taking traditional business and traditional marketing skills and translating it for the creative to understand. But the, and the other thing he said is, oh, you've been doing this for years. You've been talking about this for years. I remember you saying this. I remember you doing this. So it was, it was interesting having him as like an, the part of the audience. But that's a really interesting point you're bringing up. And I bet this doesn't happen a lot. People sit down and want to write a book and they try to scrape their minds for the idea. You took what you're doing and you put it on the page. You were already doing this. You were already teaching this to people. That's a very powerful way to create a book with content that's really finessed already. I mean, it may be too much to say the book spilled out of you, but it was there. The oh, information was there. You know, it we was there. It, it was there. It was a it matter was of just downloading it to the page. And that's because you didn't sit around one night saying, what should I write a book about? That book had to get written. Yeah. Because that's what you've been telling people. Okay. So let's talk. We have the boxes are the platform, the idea. What would be the next thing that you look at? Voice. Okay. Right. Can't be boring because nobody wants to read boring. The rule of thumb in publishing is show, don't tell storytelling. You want to teach somebody something, tell them what you're teaching them, give them an anecdote, sum it up at the end. But you've got to have some storytelling in there. There has to be narrative. So a nonfiction book that's narratively driven just means there's a lot of stories in there to move you because otherwise it feels like a textbook and they're hard to read cover to cover. They're boring. Yeah. That might have been a chapter that my husband skipped, like the editing. They cut a few stories out. (laughs) Yeah, and some, you know, listen, some chapters sing and some chapters are a little bit drier. But on the whole, you want a book where people get lost in the book. Even if it's a book teaching you how to do something, you can get lost in it. So voice really helps. Your voice on the page is very similar to your voice on the podcast. That's great because then there's an authenticity that comes through. The people I represent generally can do that. 
because they are speaking to an audience. So they do have an, a voice and that voice generally does come through when they're writing a book. And that's not true with everybody. Hmm. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. So we've got platform idea voice. Is there a fourth box now? I mean, you know, I just want to say this again and probably we could tuck it into one of those threes, a unique idea. And what I mean by unique is not, you're going to create something that's never been done. You're probably not, but you have to be able to convince an editor that book is not already on the bookshelf because bookstores, it's not true for Amazon, obviously, because it's cyber, but bookstores, even Amazon with their warehouses, they can't take every book. So if they've got two books on creativity, they may want a book on prescription drugs because they don't have that. So there has to be a reason. This is the way I look at it. This is not literally true, but your book has to be clearly new enough that they're willing to kick another book off the shelf to put yours on it. That's an exaggeration, but only by a little bit. Okay. All right. I mean, am I being clear on what that point is? It's just they, they really have to say, this is different. This is new. I think that this is going to connect with a reader. I don't think I've got six versions of this on the shelf already. Okay. So one of the ways that we communicated, or I communicated that to you is with the comps. Is that is that how you would say, what convinced you that this was an, a good idea, but new enough, but not so new that people don't want it? I want to go back to comps because I have something important to say, but to that particular question, what convinced me there was so much actionable information and you were already talking to people about it. So those two things, unique idea and marketing platform, those were there immediately. You know, the, the proposal needed work. Every proposal needs work. I don't think best-selling authors need work, but it was there. It was clearly there. You had the platform that I was going to be able to sell. You had the idea. We just had to talk a little bit to really open it up beyond fine art. More for, you know, fine art and the Etsy crowd and keep, you know, creatives because why limit it? It is apropos all of those people. But let me say something about comps because comps are a little bit different than I think most authors understand them to be. So comps is a competitive title section in the, in the book proposal. You take three or four books and you say to the editor, you don't know me. You don't know my book. You don't know my audience. If you want to imagine what I'm doing here, it's going to be like X. All right. So how do you pick those X's? If you pick Eat, Pray, Love, the editor will ignore it because they don't want you to compare your book to a 5 million copy book. They want to know what can they expect of your book financially in the first seven weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks on sale. So you want to give them a realistic competitive book that addresses the same audience you want to reach did well enough that there's hope of a sale, but it's not so gigantic that it would be ridiculous to compare your book to it. And this is something I say to authors all the time. When publishers put together a financial offer for an author, they model their numbers on another book. They say, I think it's going to act like X. If you do the right job with your comps, you will pick that book. If you don't, they will pick that book. We don't want them picking the book. We want to pick it. Yeah. And we want them to model the book we give them. So the more real you are with your comps, if you give them Eat, Pray, Love, they will not use it. I don't even care if your book really is Eat, Pray, Love. They won't use it. And for me, that book was Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins. 
which actually was published by the same imprint that did buy the book, and they probably had those exact numbers of how it sold. Is that what you agree with? A hundred percent. I, you know, just to go against what I just said, but it's an interesting spin. I'm working on a proposal I'll be sending out the first week in February. And the most important comp is a very successful business book, but we're using it because what we're saying is what that book did not do to serve this niche that my author's book will do. In that case, it's a legitimate comparison. This book was for the business owner, but my author's clientele has a slightly different business construction. And we are going to take that book to the next step for those people. And there are millions of those people with that kind of business. Businesses where you don't sell goods, but you sell services, advice. People like you, (laughs) putting your art aside. Now, one thing that you had me do, which I do think made a, a big difference, was you were questioning the size of the market. And as somebody who's an artist and my listeners, we're surrounded by artists. This is it's like all we see are is the art world. And it never even occurred to me that people don't realize like how many of us there really are. And so one thing I did between the first time I spoke to you and when you finally accepted my proposal was I went and got hard data on the size of this market, of the art market, of the Etsy market, of how many people shop at Michael's. And really, so I could, we could communicate to the publisher the potential for the size of the audience for this book. It's so important. This book I was just talking about with the business author, that's what I just asked him to get me. How many people are you serving? Like, Not you personally, but in that category of business owners. Give me numbers. Because the editor may not know that. I'm not going to know it. You should know it. And that will be very helpful because that's your potential book buying market. And that research is actually so easy to do with uh, yeah. mommy Google and yeah. cousin yeah. YouTube. No, I mean, you can, you, these numbers are all out there. And you know, intuitively, when we started talking about Etsy and Michaels and places like that, you know, intuitively, it's a big number. But when you see the number, people get impacted when you see big numbers like that. Yeah. You know, it gets exciting. Wow, look how many people might take this book, you know, might buy this book. All right. So I hope we got you excited about Artpreneur. So this is an original book that's never been out there before. I want to get it into the hands as as many artists as possible. So you, your friend, your sister, think about giving them a gift. You can pick up the book. I mean, we don't care what format you get, but if you go to artpreneurbook.com, there's a lot of bonuses there for you to check out. That's worth way more than the Kindle, the audiobook, or the paper book. Oh, and we admit, we didn't talk about the audiobook. Okay, so Super we need to we need to talk about this for a minute because I don't know if you know what's going on right now, but I'm getting signed release forms from my podcast guests, and we have like one release form left to get signed. There's about like twenty other voices that are included in this audiobook, other than mine. Wonderful. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. So if you like listening to the podcast, you're going to be blown away by this audiobook. And the audio market is a very strong part of the book publishing market. A lot of people buy the audio and the book. Audio is a really successful format. Yeah. So the the, the audiobook is going to be very entertaining. 
but you should also get. I'm not saying this because I make, you know, whatever it is, six, what do I make per paperback? 60 cents per book or something. It's not, it's not, a lot. It's, it's shockingly low, but I want you to have it. It's inside the book. There are charts like overcoming objection charts that you're going to want to have a physical version of that, whether that is the Kindle version or the paperback. All right, Michelle, thank you so much for being with me here today. Do you have any last words for the listeners before we call this podcast complete? Absolutely. So most people think about writing a book. Most people want to write a book. So my really high level advice when you're thinking about it, don't forget the book is always about your reader, not about you. There's an inclination to want to do memoir and it's fine to use your personal story as the narrative driver, but the book is always about the reader. So try to keep that in mind. Amen. And that's what I'm always telling my artists about everything they do. It's not about us. Absolutely. Yeah. Applies everywhere. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Thanks for inviting me. All right. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Until next time, stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com.